Let's jump right into this. We can start with what is a DAO? Why is it necessary? Why is it useful? From seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruyne, and you're in the CTO studio. So DAO is the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It's an entity with no central leadership in deci- where decisions are made from, bottom, from the bottom up governed by the community and have a, they have a sort of set of rules, they have a sort of, sort of automation that is put in code that kind of governs that DAO. And there's the, in the purest form of it, there's no central leadership or there's no like one person that decides everything. But if I was to describe my own words, just like in real traditional world, we have different types of organizations. You have incorporation, incorporate organizations you have LLC, LLCs, you have a public company, you have you have a co-op, you have a nonprofit, you have a lot of different types of organizations. For crypto world on-chain, DAO is considered, I've not heard of any other types of organizations. It's the one and only type of organization that exists. So if you are organizing something that is purely on-chain, and may or may not bridge into the real world organizations and LLCs and bank accounts, DAO is the is the way to go. And so in the in its definition, DAO is both an organization but also a certain way of doing things. So there's ethos that DAOs have in the crypto world. Yeah, I think one of the things that Alex points out there is that extract the on-chainness of a DAO. And it's really not different from any other collective decision-making process where people have votes proportional to their stake in that collective. I think the thing that makes them particularly unique is that you can tie those decisions in uh, in an irrevocable and atomic way to on-chain actions. I think that's the, to the extent that there's a key innovation, I think that's where it lies, it's, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I, I, I hear people a lot almost confuse it, like try to correlate it to a company, but it, it's really a very different thing. Like you said, Augustine, it's like really about coordinating in a way that's quite a bit different, I think, than than most companies. And I think that's why we've seen some of the applications we've seen so far, because they can lend themselves better to that structure that's maybe more, more equal or more democratic and very narrow and specific. Can we unpack that a little bit? Because that is the number one reference or correlation that is made, right? Oh, it's, uh, you have companies and, and the DAO is, is a formation or a smart contract version of a company. So how is it not really that, Brian? Can you think of an example of a company that has democratic action that actually works, right? It, that's just not the way innovation happens a lot. And we're seeing it with DAOs too, where a lot of times in the beginning, it's not really democratic and they move more towards it over time. They don't necessarily make all decisions uh, in that way to start with. But the one thing I almost think of a DAO is instead of thinking about it as a company, if you think about it more like as an organization that's coded instead, so that these things are specific, that's both good and bad, but it's more like a coded organization. So that thing is more like a piece of code, like like organization as a service rather than something like a company. The other thing you have is when stuff gets put in place, like the reason a lot of these things are really narrow is the excitement and the energy comes from that like North Star, that idea. And that collects people and it collects resources and it collects time and effort and all those things. Companies are a lot of times more complicated than that. They do have a tip of the spear idea, but there's a lot going on. And these things, if they're not focused, man, it just doesn't work. An example that Constitution DAO is one that we all saw, and it was 
came together really fast and they made their bid. And as soon as the bid didn't work, there was like chaos. And it was chaos because a lot of people were like, hey, return all the ETH. And other people were like, no, we need to come up with something else to do. Because once the North Star was gone, then it was chaos. That wouldn't happen in a company. The leadership would figure out like, what's the next right thing to do. But DAOs aren't like that. They're both more resilient and more fragile, I think, than a company. Yeah, I think the I think the constitution DAO is, is an interesting use case. Uh, does anybody want to explain what happened? In a one sentence description, a bunch of people got together and decided to pool their resources to, to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution. And then more people got excited and they got a bigger pool of money. And so then they bid on the U.S. Constitution, like on a physical copy of the U.S. Constitution. And then good old Ken Griffin outbid them. Everybody's buddy Ken. And so then and so then, as Brian points out. The purpose of the DAO, in some sense, disappeared. And so now what? I think that's an interesting fact that points out any kind of decentralized decision-making process is going to have some of these challenges. It's not, this isn't about DAOs, or it's not like DAOs messed up, or this was the wrong vehicle for such a thing. It's just that whenever you have decentralized decision-making where you don't concentrate the decision-making in one or few people, you're going to have to have a very strong mission around the organization in order to keep that alignment from all these different people. So th that's an interesting point because that's where I find DAOs, it's, it's limited in a sense. Like it's the pure, there's a pure form that everybody's trying to chase and that's considered to be what it should be if you're building a project on-chain and if you want to run an organization on-chain. Any deviation from that is not met with, probably met with a lot of criticism. I've, I've witnessed a few of those things, but I almost feel like if we wait one, two, three years, we'll see DAOs not necessarily, like, I'm, I'm, I, I can imagine DAOs having multiple primary structures depending on the nature of the DAO. So something like if, if seven CTOs was a DAO, okay, we're all peers. We're all, we, we all have similar skill set. We, we all have some sort of context, we all have shared vision and it can be decentralized pretty well. And so a lot of decisions could be made really well, but okay, if it's a, in one of the examples of that Google doc is Olympus DAO, which is, it's a decentralized protocol. The DAO itself is an organization that is, if you look at it and the way I know some of those things, my friend works there, it's actually has, it actually has the hierarchy because I. It's actually hard for me to imagine it working any other way. There are people who tend to be more leaders. There are people who tend to not want to get involved in management decisions. There, everybody has different skill set, and some people have the, the kind of the visionary kind of component to them that they can. They, they are the north star, which is gets you back from the decentralization, but makes this product possibly more successful than it would have been if there was 100,000 cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. And I'm curious of all your opinions is that DAO is prescribed to be in this pure form is what you should go for. I almost imagine there should be three or four different types depending on what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Another interesting case in point that's just very recent is LinksDAO. I don't know if you've heard of this thing. I was involved ridiculously early in that, not as a participant, but just as a fly on the wall. So the idea is people pull their money and, and they want to buy a golf course. That was the idea, LinksDAO. But, and, and I was pretty excited about it, but then it seemed abundantly clear that the driving force behind it were two or three or four people that were acting at least de facto as officers of this organization. 
And so then they listed some things, some NFTs on OpenSea. And the whole purpose of this thing was to buy a golf course. This is starting to sound an awful lot like security. And in fact, by any sensible how we test of this thing, like it's clearly security. If the SEC cared, this would be in in the world of trouble, in my opinion. So anyway, that's that was the reason that I stayed away. I don't think I needed the, the regulatory hassle, but I think the, the the reason I bring this up is, and Alex, you brought this up in your document, is the interface between existing legal structures and DAOs is still very much an open question. As you pointed out, there's some states that let you create LLCs to parallel the DAO. But again, like the interface between these things is very much uh, a fluid thing. And, and part of the issue, I think, is that one thing that blockchain and distributed tech does really well is move resources around in a stressless way. Like it does that really well. So the one thing that comes up is, oh, we should pool our money and do X. But then you're flirting with the securities problems all the time. And in the end, yeah, it has to be something other than just that. But it's going to play to its strengths. It's going to play to it. The DAO has available all the strengths that blockchain tech has. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's just trying to do it with humans in the loop in this more flexible way. Yeah, it's it's ironic for me how we're trying to token away the need for human relationships and trust, or we're trying to we're trying to this whole trustless conversation is is a very interesting one because so much of good north star driven organizations rely on on trust, right? You're trusting the leadership, you're trusting. The, the members. And so to have this sort of trustless situation is feels counterintuitive. Is a DAO, can I ask, I'll, I'll ask the dumb questions. Is a DAO a SHA address on the blockchain? Is that what it is? Well, ultimately, is that just an address? It's, it's much more, right? Because you DAO certainly needs a mechanism for people to propose actions and for people to vote on them and that sort of thing. Yes, like it, that is a thing that it is, but it, but I think Thinking of the definition more broadly, it is that plus a set of social conventions, plus a set of governance mechanisms, plus, plus, plus. Yeah. So it's basically a a smart contract that just is on the blockchain. Second question is tokens to DAOs what shares are to companies? I think some DAOs or most DAOs probably have that. In theory, it can be any mechanism, but I think that's pretty traditional that the amount of token you have in proportion to the overall value is your voting, they practically represent your voting rights and your share of the company. Uh, of course, the share of the company is not legally enforceable unless there are some sort of chain rules about it. That's the difference with the traditional world. But So do you have a situation where with a DAO, the person with the most money is going to have the, the strongest vote? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's pretty common. That's the thing. That's the thing that there was this, uh, who was that? I think Jack, the founder of Twitter, he had this kind of notion of Web3 is supposed to be decentralized, but there's so much, you know, venture capital money. There's so much, you know, there's so much centralization that kind of takes away some of those core foundational things from what it's supposed to be. A lot of DAOs and the person who creates DAO, they get to define the rules. Now, the marketing machine and the hype around the DAO it works completely dependently. So you can get people to join the DAO and what they do, they buy a token to typically to join DAO, whether they buy NFT or something, depends on how it's structured. But it, most people will not have the resources and the ability to look into how are all those smart contracts structured. And so a lot of companies will be very straightforward about structured. 
some won't, but typically, and what often happens, the founders, the primary developers, they will want to remain, they want, will want to maintain to have a good amount of tokens. That's wealth potentially. But that also means if there's 15, 20, 25 core people who started the project and they're like, okay, let's do a DAO, there's very high probability that those 25 people in aggregate and 100,000 other people join, but it's possible, depending on how it's structured, that those 25 people will have the kind of majority voting. So it seems to me like the sexy about this is the codifying of the rules or the articles or the, the clauses. If you want to sell the DAO, it's got to be unanimous consent. That seems like a very simple thing that can be codified and can never be broken Unless uh, everyone votes, yes, we're going to sell the DAO or we're all going to exit the DAO or something. Whereas in the real world, lawyers and attorneys and like all that stuff is open to legal interpretation. Is that sort of the allure of this whole thing? I think there are many allures, not like including the idea that it is a mechanism to get around U.S. securities laws. There's definitely a component of the allure of DAOs that is just that. I wouldn't claim it's a large component, but it's certainly some of it. And certainly the idea of, quote, not having to get those lawyers involved certainly appeals to the tech nerd in all of us. So there's that too. I'm being a little bit unfair, but I think that the reason I'm being a little bit unfair is because, like I think like Alex said at the beginning, to the extent that a DAO is just an on-chain way to do real-world things. It's not clear that there's much there. That, Like Brian said, the thing that's really special about DAOs is that they can do on-chain things. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of interesting DAOs, but I think the really important ones are the ones that are going to really rely on the, the fact that things are, are distributed and control is decentralized in some important way. So for instance, like you can imagine DAOs around control of data and things like that, that if, you know, that, that we get these more perverse usages of them when there's very centralized control and just a few people hold the keys, then data tends to get sold or used in other ways and maybe it wasn't intended. But if you had DAOs around things like that, where some of these constituent people actually had to say over what happens, those kinds of things I, I think are interesting more than just the like, hey, let's move money around. And that's where I think if you get these like things for a DAO to do that are really inspirational and really deep, not broad. So they're very focused. They're making a protocol for something. They're, they're really task specific. Then they can tend to be really successful. And I don't doubt that over time, we'll get more complicated examples of things that work. But because things can be really rigid once they're put in motion, I think a lot, there's so much room for complicated things, broad things to go awry now that the more, I think the more like deep and focused that they are, the, the more likely they are to, to work, at least in the early stage. It's such a fascinating world right now where it's, we have all these solutions in search of a problem to solve. It's making me dizzy. Maybe that's yeah, why. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, the wisdom of that, right? So it, it's the same before, like when all these super powerful like AI ML tools came, everybody like tried to throw them at everything. And that's not really it. You want to look at the constituent pieces. What does this thing do really well? And do I have a problem that, that makes sense for that? No, the opposite. Yeah. No, mommy, that is not an AI. It's a for loop that is simply clicking. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a loop. It's not AI. <laughs> It's a smart loop. That's, that's the old joke in trading certainly is that every new quant hedge fund says that they use AI, but really all they're doing is linear regression. And that's all they've been doing for the last 35 years. In fact, speaking of finance, I think another reasonable application for DAOs that, that I've been looking at with a couple of people 
is the idea of having on-chain ETFs as like in a DAO type structure. So they do rebalancing, they do trades, they do things that, that they declare that they're going to do upfront. I think there's a lot of room there for people who want to invest in crypto to not have to pick two, three, or four random coins, but to pick a basket that makes sense and go from there. So that's another example of on-chain activities that could be supported by these sorts of organizations. I, I, I want to go back to something Jan had mentioned already as you talked about DAO being a smart contract, which a smart contract that is deployed on the blockchain is immutable by default, right? We all know that companies make pivots. We, we all try to be agile. We're all trying to be, be flexible as for with our teams and projects that we can react to the nature of the things that are happening around us so they can adapt or we can get ahead of things and so on. I'm curious of opinions on uh, DAOs. If you code too many things into the smart contract that governs the DAO, you may also be killing yourself. And, you know, two years from now, reality might be different. And some things that you presumed work today may work differently and in Deploying a new smart contract and migrating people to the new contract, like it's a pain in the ass. Nobody's going to do that. Or maybe some, maybe there's some situation where that makes sense. But it also feels like most DAOs that want to be sustainable long-term that are not super specific. Like I can, I can see ETF DAO being, you can set a, you have a set of rules and it may not change for a real while. But if it's more free form, you may want the protocol part of it, what's in the smart contract, you may want it to be pretty thin. So you actually have the flexibility to those things. I'm curious on what you guys think, because that essentially reduces the, the what's supposed to be the, the benefit of the DAO, which is to have a lot of things automated. So like it's the scope of things, you want to reduce it because there's no way for you to change it if you just set it in stone and then live with it. Yeah, I think that's a general problem. Like, it's not just a problem for DAOs. I think it's even worse for DAOs because they have a little more motion to them and it's a little less clear. I think that's where that that focus remains. And I think, like in DeFi, I think we're going to see a ton of consolidation around these things too. I think you get these little point solutions and then those things need to come together to work. I think DAOs are going to be similar where you get going down this path, but you need this whole basket of things. And if, if you make a mistake, and that's part of the problem with the structure, right, is if you make a mistake and it starts going the other way, like, it's almost better to start over and start another DAO and then do it the right way. But the problem is you end up with this whole like piles and piles of either zombie organizations, zombie code or dead code that's not in use, but it's immutable and it's forever. So it's there. It, it's kind of, it's a strange thing, but it feels to me like what's going to happen is a lot of things will get made. They'll get traction. They'll, the world will not be right for them anymore. They will dwindle and die and new things will just take their place that are better structured. That seems weird, but I don't. I'm not sure what else would happen. Yeah, although there are certainly proposals, certainly on Ethereum for for there not to be an infinite history and for to make running a node more manageable and that sort of thing. So I think it, it seems plausible to me that there are technical solutions to the, this thing is here forever as soon as you push it once. But certainly that's the state of the world today without question. <laughs> I see Michael messaging in chat that an admin can change the logic in another contract and they change the proxy address for the new contract while allowing the data to remain the original contract. And I'm assuming that's a way you can get around those proxy smart contracts. I've not but I think it, it brings up Alex's point, right? There's this trade-off between 
trust in the code and trust in the people running the DAO or trust in the main. And and it's a, I wouldn't say it's like a hard trade-off, but there's definitely something there. Just like when you say, when it was the ICO boom three years ago, it's like, oh, we, which coins should I invest in? And the answer was always, well, are the founders or the people hawking this pseudonymous or do they have a real name? Do they have a track record of doing other things? Like, it's still, as Etienne points out, really does come back to humans trusting humans, at least at some level. Another part of the problem is 99.9% of people are not going to be able to or not going to want to. I don't want to spend my time reading smart contracts and the code of a smart contract somebody had deployed, but there's still, I'm not, it's not something that is common is to have anything that gets deployed and there's some sort of Another DAO that does the analytics of all the DAO contracts. I feel like that's something that needs to exist because an average human is not going to be able to see where that, all that money is going. You trust the, what, what the website says once you put the tokens in and maybe going to the owner's wallet or many things may be happening and you may not be able to find what's going on there. It seems like the scarce resource for the foreseeable future is people being able to do good code review of Solidity or Rust or whatever, right? Like you miss one ownable on one contract and like you're screwed. And there are plenty of people, Michael's mentioning Open Zeppelin, like many people are trying to build the, we'll call it the operating system of smart contracts in the sense of, of composable elements to address some of this. But I think that we're still a ways away from it being practical. Yeah. And, and even that is interesting. Like the composability helps in that you can rely on, maybe you can rely on these pieces that have more hours on them, more more transactions on them. But over time, that seems strange too, because you that's not the most efficient thing. If I have a bunch of smart contracts that all take transaction fees, and then once I build like eight layers deep of these things in order to do my thing, I could just rewrite that all as a new smart contract that does everything because now we know what the right way to do it is and then reduce that to like one transaction fee. So I'm not saying that's important in the short term, but at some point there's some efficiency argument as well. It's like not having this be so deep. Yeah, in, in all sorts of complicated projects, you want to reduce your dependencies in the end so that you I'm not dependent on seven different things that can each break in a different way versus like eight things. I, I think in the short term, that composability is really important, but in the long term, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the thing friend and I were talking about this morning is the idea that open source is what, 30 years old or something? And uh, and the dream of open source is dead, clearly, in the sense that that Fortune, whatever companies and any number of startups that became massive unicorns, built it on the back of unpaid labor, and they're okay with it, right? There's some massive security hole, some vulnerability, some maintainer starts to like bork his thing just to show them the power that, that he has. Whatever, man, like, that's just a cost of doing business. So maybe that is the future. I don't know. Yeah, so I looked at creating DAOs. I think there's DAO stack and there's Aragon and all that. And one thing, one thing that I want to run by you is let's say I want to create a DAO that is a donor managed fund, basically. It seemed like when I go to Aragon to create my DAO, I have to name my token. So I basically create a, is that a new cryptocurrency that I'm creating. So basically I'm creating new money or new, a new currency to now, that is the, econ that is the economy of my DAO. I think of it as an IOU, kind of. Yeah, it makes sense. You have to have some unit of exchange for all the things a DAO can do, whether that's 
purchasing something, whether it's taking in resources, whether it's compensating people for different things, you have to have some liquid asset that everyone's going to trade and decide it has value so that they can trade labor for articles yeah. so basically or, a, it's a, it's a, or whatever a, it is. It's a trusted unit of value, except that you've created it. It's, it doesn't really, you haven't backed it with any sort of reserve or anything. It just, it's just a it's just a name, right? You could imagine, like in the case of the donor thing, is that for every thousand dollars or whatever, for every thousand dollars that you donate to this thing, you get a thousand Etienne bucks. That's really no different than than somebody donating to to your nonprofit with a soft, trusted understanding that Etienne isn't going to run off to South Africa with all the money. It's not that different, I don't think. So, so if so, if you can humor me with this, if Let's say I create my DAO and my idea is to do a donor-managed fund because I don't want the burden of who we donate to or who we help to be on my shoulders. I want it to be on every participant's shoulders. I create the DAO. I create the Etienne Bucks token. And I have some sort of contract that says each... Let's say all the members of seven CTOs each get one Etienne Bucks token by virtue of being a member of seven CTOs. Does that sound right? And then there's a treasure of cash, which is that a different way? Is that a different? That's Ethereum, right? You have to, the, the treasury consists of Ethereum. You could do whatever you want. I think let's start with that. Like you could airdrop to all seven CTOs, people who you, whose addresses a million Etienne Bucks today, right? You could just do that right? Now, how much those things are worth, that's up to everybody else to decide. But I think uh, getting back to Brian's point, what what is the purpose of doing this? Yeah. So it's you know, like in the case of the nonprofit, the purpose of doing this is so that everybody gets together and decides where to put the money of the nonprofit. In that case, it certainly makes sense that there should be some transaction where you deposit some money in some Etienne smart contract address and you get back Etienne bucks that is your claim on that treasury that you are developing. There's two different things. So then if we want to make a donation, let's say we want to donate to kids coding camps. Do I make a proposal to the DAO? Everyone then uses their Etienne bucks to cast a vote. Is it, I have 10, the other guy has 50. So now that person's vote is weighs heavier than mine. You can structure it any way you want. That seems like a perfectly sensible way to structure it. And does the Etienne bucks get traded out of the DAO, anyone can now own ATN bucks. Again, up to you. Yeah, you could offer them for as exchange for USDC, or you could offer them for people's contributions, or you could offer them. You could do it like that. That's the thing that's so flexible, right? You can do this any way you want. That the ownership part and with the donation part, I, I'm not sure. Like, there's lots of implications. The Constitution DAO did an interesting thing. People weren't actually buying a piece of the constitution. You were donating and then you had voting rights to decide where it went. Like it's going to be in this museum or it's going to be in that museum or it's going to be on display here or there. But the Dow held the constitution and was the thing that, that took possession of it, not the people that contributed. And that was really important to get around regulatory issues. So there's that's where even though it's like super early, if you're actually doing something where money's going to be like donated or whatever, like that's a... You got to find a lawyer to help you <laughs> figure out uh, what you're going to do. Because you can structure it however you want. Some of those ways would be illegal and some of them would be regulated. And I'm also going to make another like non-DAO claim about the nonprofit, which is some decent fraction of the people who donate money to the nonprofit 
want to write a check and never have to think about it again. So <laughs> how do you deal with that? I think I have an interesting use case for one because the energy that I have in seven CTOs is people are attending forums, they are talking, they are collaborating. There's a lot of this, this energy being spent inside of communities of practice that, that, that is consuming energy. If I can somehow convert that into tokens, that maybe a fraction of that energy gets converted into tokens, and then those tokens become a means by which you can make a difference. And by virtue of being codified, it's not, oh, Etienne's really into South African causes, and now all my money is going to go to South Africa, which I got, by the way. It was like, oh, you did you start seven CTOs to raise money to send to South Africa? I'm like, no, I didn't. But... A DAO, it really, this is why I'm excited about this idea that there could be a codified way to activate cash or, or, or maybe not money, but effort or something that could be out of the hands of someone like myself and it truly be a democracy of where the group feels they could make a difference. And Yes, I'm sure you can codify all of that into articles of corporation and you can get the attorneys and you can have bank accounts and you can have investor calls or donor calls. And But it just, for the first time when I think about DAOs, I think, wow, this is actually something I can actually see be very useful to donor-managed funds. I would argue that in what you just proposed, though, you're diluting it in a way that would make it unsuccessful. And what I mean by that is if I'm contributing by commenting and, and meeting with people and doing all those things for seven CTOs, that's because I care about contributing to other CTOs in the community. That doesn't mean that I care to donate money in the way that you all want to donate money. If the four of us talked about what our specific charity goals are, it's four different things, right? It's not the same at all. So you mix two things that are very different. When you have a focused passion, like we are going to help foster kids in the U.S. and this DAO, that's our goal. And here's how we're going to do it. You get all the people come together that care about that thing. That is very powerful. The Constitution DAO came together because, I don't know, like it twinned a little patriotism or something for all these people all at once. And they got $40 million in 10 minutes. But if it was distributed or I don't want to donate money through a voting process with all of you, I want to donate money to what I care about in a very focused way. I mean, I I think that's where the power is in a DAO, not in trying to like bolt the donation part onto something that's different. That's why you didn't get the invite, Brian. So you know. yes, <laughs> there was an invite. Wait, what? I might also argue that DAOs are fairly, I, I don't know about heavyweight, but it's just, there's a lot of rigmarole around interacting with it. And if there's no on-chain use for the money or there's no like other thing that ties you to a chain or to a set of chains or something. My guess is probably it's more trouble than it's worth, but I could be wrong. We'll find out how LinksDAO does. So in, in very practical matters, again, whenever you're looking to donate from this, from the DAO's wallet, you'll probably also have to have the company to which you're donating to open up an Ethereum wallet, open up, you know, MetaMask, send you their wallet address. And make sure they know what to do with this thing and how to account for it from a content perspective. Or you have to cash it out yourself and take it off chain and send their way. The the other problem is gas fees. Just to start the doubt, if if you're doing mainnet, 
Ethereum network just to deploy the DAO. It's, I don't know, more than a thousand dollars probably right now, just to deploy just a bunch of simple smart contracts to cast a vote. If the voting process is fully on chain, there's everybody pays a little bit. You're paying every interaction you want to do that is truly on chain. You have to do a bunch of things, which is why I've seen some companies take it to the level of abstraction, take it off chain, basically, which is not a kind of a true DAO way of doing things. Because if you're taking voting off chain, then you're losing all the benefits that it's supposed to bring you. But there are side chains, there, there are level two, there, is, there are some options there. I think they're going to be popping up. One thing I think is interesting to your point, Augustine, is some of the most interesting DAOs I think, are ones where there's this sense of purpose and then they've put something on chain that maybe wasn't before. Like ClimateDAO is a good example where they were able to put carbon credits on chain, right? They took this. So the, what happens is internationally that the carbon credits get, get validated and verified so that there's real rigor behind them. And then the ID for that thing gets then put on chain so that that certificate, that climate certificate is actually controlled on chain. And then it can be, then they make a marketplace for it. And that can be bought and sold. So if you want to offset, you can actually buy pieces of those carbon credits so that now those things are locked up and they never are available to anyone to actually use to pollute. So they, they took something that was fundamentally physical and off-chain, but had really strong social and environmental implications, put it on-chain, and then they're making like this liquid market for it to try to like drive the price up, right? Because if we can get the price of carbon credits high enough, then it pulls... It, it basically takes a lot of carbon that would go into the atmosphere and pollute and locks it up digitally on, on chain. So it's, it's never going to actually be consumed. So th those things I think are interesting versus just versus something that, that it wasn't specifically put on chain so that things like DAOs can operate on it. Yeah. So the, the thing that's about those carbon credits in particular, I sat next to a guy who traded carbon credits back in 2008. And so there is a very liquid market for carbon credits and there has been for a long time. I think, again... A lot of these feel like, we'll call them regulatory arbitrage, where if you wanted to buy a bunch of carbon credits and, and stuff them in a locker, you could have done that at any point. It's just that you needed to be a large bank or a large trading house and you need to sign ISDAs with everybody else and blah, blah, blah. And now you don't. And yeah. it feels a little bit like regulatory arbitrage. I'm not saying it's not a noble goal, but it doesn't. Like the, I think the novelty is in trying to get around the existing securities laws. It's also breaking it up in a way. Getting around the security laws is an effect of that, but also making it approachable. You couldn't buy $10 worth of carbon credits before, but now you can. So it breaks it down into much, much smaller, more approachable right. units. Like Robinhood makes trading like free for everyone. I mean, it's a different thing. It's making it more, more available and more approachable, which kind of opens that market up. If I want to declare a million... If I want to make a company with a million shares, 10 million shares, I don't have to file with the Secretary of State. I don't do anything like that. I just make it and it just is. Right? Yes. Okay, so that seems pretty sexy. Except, no, it, it is. That idea is great. But then if you took people's money and gave them equity, now it's an equity, right? Like you. It, it, it doesn't work. Like you still in the U.S., you're not going to get around the idea that you couldn't fund your company that way. You could. It would just be illegal in the U.S. You can't do that. Or you can't fund it exclusively that way. You're going to have a, yeah. the parallel yeah. structure that is, here's my real cap table. Here's here's all my documents. And yeah, I guess I need a 409A valuation now. Like you're still going to need all that stuff, right? I think that's the reason a lot of those DAOs are anonymous and 
people don't really know where the founders are located, it, but that also allows for it to function in a way that's unless it's doing anybody harm, nobody's probably going to be trying to chase you. And it accepts members from all around the world. So anybody in the world, regardless of the jurisdiction they're in, is able to digitally participate in terrorist DAO is whatever the goal is, which is interesting. That's the concept that is most interesting to me is that it's, it's global by default, by nature, and has no boundaries. It has legal boundaries in each individual country and each individual country may have different regulations, but it, it also can elevate to the level of nobody knows. It just, if you're part of it, nobody has to know. And I think that's the way a lot of those DAOs work right now. I know DAOs that are people who are working there. It's remote and distributed by default, but it's also anonymous by default. Nobody had ever seen other people's faces. It's all these audio calls. They trust each other because they're all a team, like they're all working as part of a team. And I'm referring to a product DAO where decisions are being made on the product, on the business development, organization decisions, marketing decisions. People trust each other, but all they're saying is their nickname that doesn't mean anything, their avatar with something on it. And it's really interesting, I think, as a phenomenon. Yeah, I think as we said in, the, in one of the other talks, I think one of the coolest things here is the experimentation. People can try stuff and fail in to the extent that we have, to the extent that you subscribe to the great stagnation hypothesis that we're all ossified a little bit in our societies and cultures, the advent of a mechanism for people to experiment just seems like all good things. It, it's also interesting. We've seen in the last bunch of years, a bunch of things where people can come together around donations for causes or Kickstarter for causes. And this seems like that supercharged in a way where you get people coming around some idea, some concept, but now they have much stronger tools to, to work with. I think, Brian, you're level setting it in a way for me around, hey, it's something that needs focus. The way it would seem now is that the DAO around focus, a cause, something that energizes people, something that garners, attracts people, that seems to make a lot of sense versus a drop-in replacement for, let's say, donor-managed funds or company creations and things like that. Yeah, if you can solve your problem in a a way that it's already been solved in the past, and that's probably the right thing to do, do it the old way. But if there's something fundamentally new, interesting, different, better about what the blockchain offers, then, then a doubt could be interesting.